Okay, Luke 1, 26 through 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. And I've gone too far on my page. There we go. <laughs> but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Yeah, today I'm going to talk about obedience it's not a word we say often. I think in part it is because the meaning of it scares us, at least a little. It means we have to be submissive. Sometimes it means sacrifice. Oftentimes it means surrendering and making a difficult choice. In September 2016, I went back to India, got connected to a Baptist pastor in my state, and I started going to his church. One day he invited me to join him for a weekend away conference. However, that Saturday, instead of heading towards the conference, he headed towards the village uh, to attend the funeral of a woman. I asked him why he changed his plans. He told me that his church tried to plant, uh, his church tried to plant a church uh, in this particular village for almost five years. 
week after week, they would go to this village for evangelism, but there was just no fruits, as this village was a tightly knitted Hindu community. After almost five years of futile evangelism, the church was about to give up when this woman moved into the village. Her husband has deserted her. Uh, she moved into the village so that she could be closer to her relatives. The church members now share the gospel with her. She was scared of what the Hindu community would do to her if she, was a, if she becomes a Christian. However, she was open and accepted the gospel. She got baptized and also allowed the church members to go to the village and run a Sunday evening service at her house. Now, almost 30 years later, there's a well-established church and ministry in this village with almost 200 people attending the church. The pastor told me the significance of that first yes to the gospel and how it had a ripple effect throughout the village. And that is why he wanted to attend her funeral to honor her service for the gospel. And today, we, as part of our series on the mother of Jesus, we'll be following the journey of Mary, the mother of Jesus. A lot of us here might not have a clue what our S to Jesus and our no to the world means to our family, to our workplace, to our church. Some of us might feel excited about what God is doing through us, but most of us, we don't know what our obedience does in the larger scheme of things. But Mary's story is a story of obedience to God's larger mission. Like the Indian lady, it tells of how a young woman received the call from God to take on a responsibility at a great cost. Yet she obeyed, and because of that obedience, we are blessed with the greatest gift of all, a savior who delivers us from sin and death. I've structured the story of, in three parts, messenger, message, and the mission. Firstly, We'll look at uh, the messenger and Mary. The passage that we have just read is really about the interaction between two people. You have Gabriel, God's messenger, and Mary, God's choice. Even in this first chapter of Luke, it's the second time that the holy angel appears. But what is unique about this is that nobody has seen an angel in over 400 years since he last appeared to Daniel. And then in Luke 1, God sends an angel, first to Zacharias, promising a miracle birth to an old couple who were barren. Not just any child, but a child chosen by God to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And now, for the second time in this chapter, God sent an angel to visit Mary. The angel here had a name, Gabriel. Only two angels were ever named in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. Gabriel the messenger, as his name literally means, sent from God. If you could look in this chapter in verse 19, it says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He represented God to deliver an important message. He came out of heaven to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, this is really interesting. Notice that Look to great care to include the name of the town here, Nazareth, and just in case you missed it, he even added more details that it is a town in Galilee. It is a place in Israel, a city where Jewish people live. 
And if you have never read the New Testament books in the Bible, you might be thinking to yourself, this might be a place like London or New York, where, which everyone in the world know about it, that God in heaven knows about it and the, and the angels knows about it. No, actually, Nazareth was a very insig insignificant town settled by a few families. It was surrounded by hills and wasn't very accessible. And it wasn't located on a roadway. As one archaeologist, uh, Yadana Alexandra puts it, people didn't go through Nazareth unless they specifically wanted to go there. That was the reason that it remained a small site until the 19th century. It is also worth noting that the upper region of Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles because there was a big Gentile population living around the area. Jewish people completely avoided contact with Gentiles. No one, took, no one in Israel took Nazareth or the Jewish people in Galilee seriously. If you have read the book of John in the Bible, you could see that when Jesus began his earthly ministry, Nathaniel, who became one of his disciples, when he learned that Jesus is from Nazareth, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is that kind of a small and overlooked town and the angel comes here to visit an overlooked woman called Mary? Now, angel Gabriel says, greetings, you, uh, you who is highly favored by God. The word highly favored can mean graced of God or endured with grace. What this verse means is that God has poured out his grace, favor, blessing upon Mary. It's not about her. It's not about who she is or what she has done. It's about what God does for her. He has poured out his grace and favor upon her. God has decided to be gracious towards Mary. So who really is Mary? Not much is being said in this passage, but we do know from the Gospels that she was just a common peasant girl living in a rural, out-of-the-way mountain village. Biblical scholars say that Mary could have been as young as uh, 12 to 14 years of age. We are not told in the text, however, in that culture, it would, it would not be unusual or weird for her to be that young. From the narrative, we can find that she was engaged to a man called Joseph, a descendant of David. The word engage in today's terms is understood as some sort of pre-wedding commitment. And sometimes you hear people uh, nowadays saying, you're breaking off this engagement just because they felt that marriage wasn't for them and it's no big deal. That's not what Luke meant. Here, being engaged was legally the same as being married. If a woman had any relationship, any relationship with another person being, during her engagement, she was subjected to be put to death by committing, for committing adultery. If the man died, the woman would be considered a widow. In those days, during the engagement period of between 10 to 12 months, the woman would leave with her family, and if she were to meet her fiancé, she would be chaperoned, so they would make sure she stays a virgin until she she is married. Try putting yourself in Mary's shoes for a minute. You know, she was a regular young girl going about her mundane uh, daily routine, cleaning, washing, cooking, and suddenly an angel visits her telling her that she, a virgin, will be having a child before marriage. That's a lot to take in. And imagine the flood of uh, thoughts and emotion that would be going through in her mind at the moment. 
maybe startled or surprised or confused or afraid all at once. If Twitter has existed back then, imagine how much a scandal it would have been. You know, unwed woman's pregnancy escalated in ancient Nazareth. Can you imagine this going viral and how much shame it would bring on her and her family? Hashtag, she must have cheated. Or hashtag, unwed mother. Now notice how Luke chose to describe Mary here in this passage. If you look at it, uh, he doesn't say anything about Mary, nothing about who her family was or who she is or what she does. All he chooses to highlight is that she was a virgin, and he mentions it three times in this passage. Now, this is a very important piece of information because 700 years ago, Isaiah, a prophet in Isaiah, uh, in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, predicted that God would be born of a virgin. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So God promised to come as a man, and the appointed time has come, and, a, and Mary, a commoner, was chosen by God to play a part in the fulfillment of the promise or the prophecy. And now, uh, in point two, the message, we'll be looking more at what the angel was trying to explain to Mary about this God who was gonna come in Mary's womb as a baby. Now let's see what Angel Gabriel said to Mary. He said in verse 31 and 32, if you could note, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. He continued on to say, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. God will conceive and give birth to a son. You will, sorry, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 32, if you have a look, Jesus mentioned as the Son of the Most High, which highlights his divinity. Also in verse 31, we see that his name was to be called Jesus. There is a specific reason why the angel wants Mary to name the baby as Jesus for it means God saves. The angel is saying that the Most High has decided to become a baby and be born of a virgin. He also says that God who is coming as a baby will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is a unique conception. Was there a man involved? The answer is a clear no. Some religions have wrongly understood that Christian teaching is saying God is having sex with a woman. No, there is no sex involved as well. There is no man involved, there is no sex involved. And when we come to mysteries like how a virgin gave birth and start to think how such miracles can happen, I think what Scottish pastor and theologian Sinclair Ferguson said is helpful. He said, if God was to speak the language and the mathematics and the physics that was necessary to express virginal conception. Our minds would seek to expand to the limit, to take it in until we reached the point that we said, I'm sorry that I asked this question. 
I'm just a man or a woman, boy or a girl. This is too great for me. And you see, that's the point that we come to recognize that here is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. That's the point where a believer is content to say, you are God and I am not. And I'm content with that, should be that way. Whereas the unbeliever will say, with Frederick Nietzsche, if there is a God who can do such things, how can I bear not to be that God? And I will not believe in such miracles. Angel says, Mary will experience the supernatural miracle of God coming into the world. So God is coming as a baby through a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the angel goes on to say, why? It's because humans need a savior. And that's why the angel is very specific that Jesus is to be named as, uh, the baby needs to be named as Jesus because it means God is, God saves. God wants to offer us a savior. If you're, not a Christ, if you're not from a Christian background, you might be wondering why, as humans, we need a savior. Your understanding of human nature might be different to that of uh, others, because in several other religions, what it says about human nature is that humans are good by nature. All we need from God is information. You know, all, all God needs to do from heaven is throw a holy Quran or a Bhagavad Gita. You know, humans will then... Uh, know what is right and wrong, and then we will save ourselves. That's what's taught in most of, the, uh, most, most of the religions. But what Bible teaches about human nature is quite different. What Bible teaches is that humans know that there is a God. Humans know that what is right and wrong in God's eyes. We voluntarily choose to disobey God, and we become enemies of God, and we try to get rid of God and be gods over our lives. That's what the Bible teaches about humans. And in a, in a figurative sense, what the Bible says is that we are in, in, under judgment of God in a figurative way. We are all caught up in a house that is locked on the outside and set on fire. We will all soon die unless someone from outside comes to rescue us. And the Bible says that that person who comes from the outside for our rescue and our salvation is Jesus. And the angel goes on to talk about him and says that he is that savior. That's why Jesus means God saves. And, and Jesus did come into the world as a baby and he submitted himself uh, under the laws that the humans have to be under. He was just like any other baby, but also he was not like any other human in the sense that he completely was obedient to every law of God. He never broke any law of God, and he was a friend of God, and he, and he totally surrendered himself as a sacrifice on the cross so that we can escape God's judgment. And that's not all he did, but he also did. He's going to do something glorious, as the angel says, in verse 32, Jesus will be called great. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. The Bible teaches that the Jewish people from Israel will one day see Jesus as a true king who will reign forever. But it doesn't end there. Bible in the Bible in, uh, in the book of Revelation says that 
people from every tongue and tribe and nation will be in that kingdom that Jesus will start to reign forever. It's, it's going to be a reign that will never end. And that's another teaching of the Bible. He not only rescues us from danger of God's judgment, but he will bring us to a new place, a new heaven and a new earth, where we can all live forever with Jesus as our King. So if you are not a Christian and you're here, probably it's good to think about these two things that the Bible teaches about. One, the bad news about human nature, that we are rebels of God and we need rescue. And also the good news that there is a rescuer that God has provided for us that is our great need so that we could live forever. He has provided a king who could establish the new heaven and the new earth where we could live safely forever. And you could think about both these good news and the bad news and you could decide what you want to do with these news. And then we go on to the point three, the mission. The third part of the sermon today is about God's mission. Uh, when I talk about mission, I mean um, the angel Gabriel asking Mary to be involved in God's mission. Firstly, I want to say this passage is not about power structures. Someone in authority trying to bully a teenage powerless girl into a corner and leaving her with no option but to say yes. She is then being abused for someone else's benefit. I think uh, Amy Peeler, an associate professor at Wheaton College, uh, is helpful in this issue as she, uh, she addresses the issue in her book. She says, it's not like Mary went desperately asking for a job in Buckingham Palace and the king, understanding that she is powerless, took advantage of her and abused her. No, it is the other way around. Buckingham Palace is sending its top official to visit Mary's house and is offering a privilege to be involved in King's mission. Mary offers her objections, and these objections are taken seriously into consideration, and proper answers were given by the angel. The angel even says, if you have more doubts, you could go uh, visit Elizabeth, who also had a miraculous birth, and then you can decide whether to say yes or no to God's mission. It's Mary who sees the great privilege of being involved in this mission. You can see that in verse 48 where Mary says, from now on every generation will call me blessed. She, she completely understands what it is to be in, in God's mission. But also she understands the cost. Joseph might not end up marrying her, or there might be a threat on her life because of Jewish religious officials. Oh, it is Mary who voluntarily chooses to, with grit and determination to be involved in God's mission. Like Mary, we Christians are also called to be involved in God's mission. We are not forced, but we are called, based on our understanding of God's love towards us, to engage in different levels of devotion. She, Mary was called to carry Jesus in a womb and bring him into this world. Even though Mary is a young teenager, she was not naive. She knows that women don't just have babies without a father being involved. So she asked for some clarification in verse 34, which Gabriel is glad to give her. And in verse 35, he doesn't offer specific details, 
But he offered some reassurances. Yes, of course, you're right, Mary, he says. You can't make it this possible. However, he says, he gives a clarification. If God is involved, nothing is impossible. She can play a part in God's kingdom that's going to last forever. So thinking about our obedience, I just want you to reflect on two things. One is our common identity. Now, many of us are like Mary, isn't it? We are from either obscure places or we don't have a CV that Richie Sunak or soon to be coronated King Charles is going to take us seriously. But the, but the thing is, God has spotted you. God has called you to carry him in your hearts and play a part in his mission. We can all relate to Gabriel's description of Mary as the favored one. In Ephesians 1, 6, Paul describes Christians as highly favored. We can all rejoice for an angel, Gabriel says, we are the favored ones, the most high is with us. We can take on this identity and we can focus on our mission. Mary focused on the mission. Mary was very keen to learn what God wants her to do, and she consecrated herself to play a part in God's mission. We too can do that. We too can even today voluntarily consecrate ourselves, once again like Mary, saying, be it unto me according to your will. I am your servant. We can go back to our families, our halls of residence, join our housemates, and during the week, we can go to our workplace, to schools, or being at home and caring for children, meet with church members at life groups, catch up one-to-one, -one, or engage with neighbors and friends, or pray and invite a few people for Christmas carol service and see what happens. Like Ben said, we can all have a go. For we know who is calling us to go along with him in his mission. With God, all things are possible. We don't labor in vain. All we need to do is to be like Mary, is to be like that Indian woman to just say yes and do whatever is possible and be available to God's mission. God is with you to empower you to play a part in this everlasting kingdom. May I finish with this um, poem written by Philip Clark in his book, Holy Sweat. God uses what you have to fill a need which you never could have filled. God uses where you are to take you where you never could have gone. God uses what you can do to accomplish what you never could have done. Amen.